0: We're going to be looking at the book of Philippians today. Um, wish we could spend more time, but, but it's a wonderful book. I'm going to start reading. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. We'll begin reading. <clears throat> if you don't have your Bibles, it's up on the screen here as well. At least it should be good. Let's start reading. <clears throat> Philippians 3, verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by, by all means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Lord, we just thank you. We just love you. Thank you for your word. Lord, it's such a a guide for us to show us the way to you. We see here how wonderful you are, how awesome you are compared to everything else, Lord God. You are amazing. I just pray let that penetrate our hearts today. Let us have new, fresh eyes of who you are, Lord Jesus. Forgive us for complacency. Let us focus on you and live our lives centered upon you. I pray that I will decrease and you will increase. Lord, give us all ears to hear Your Word speak today in Your holy name, Amen. Uh, I'm sure many of you know, but I work for a roofing company. I'm a general manager, also estimator there for Swadley Roof Systems. And um, when I first started working there, um, one of the jobs we did was uh, if you see a building up there, yeah, can you put a building up there? We did a uh, like a a series of there's a series of buildings here, townhomes. We did one of these buildings, and, um, and one of the owners asked us to come, and so the salesman went out there, did the, did the uh, you know, negotiating talking with him, got our bids sent out and everything. So everything was squared away. You've got a, a good deal, and um, got a good percentage rate on some profit. But the problem is that <clears throat> there's a miscommunication with the operations guy, and so he went up there, did a great job. What of a job. They got a new roof. But the problem is that he put the ladder on the wrong wrong wall, and he t- and the person next to uh, got a new roof out of this deal. So and so, uh, of course, that guy didn't last too long. Operations guy didn't last too long at Swally Roof Systems. But um, anyway, uh, it w- w- how tragic it would be to to realize you know you're doing a great job. You you're just busting it you know and you're just it's looking great the guy that the crew that you have working for you is doing an awesome job you know no mistakes throughout the whole day and it's it's one of these jobs can take it pretty much a whole day just to finish it and so you finish the day you know you just get off the roof and you're just rejoicing and, and then come to find out at the end of the day everything you've done was waste was actually a loss it did not bring any profit to you no commission for you, no commission, no, no profit for the company. In fact, we had to go back and st- these people got a, a brand new roof, but we still had to go back at our own expense and do the, the, the roof for the people we, who did the negotiation with, who they were expecting a roof. How tragic that would be. And how tragic it would be for us to realize that we invest our whole life in something. We invest our whole goals, our whole, whole, whole ambitions in life for something we love, but to come to find out at the end of our life, it was all for loss. How tragic that would even be. This is tragedy for doing a roof for someone else, not getting paid for it. How much tragic it would be for living our whole life and come to find out at the end of our life, we leaned our ladder against the wrong wall. So today, I want us to really zoom in on this, how we can prevent this in our own life. So um, like I said, I wish we could do all of Philippians, but basically the the main thrust of Philippians is found in chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Let me take a sip. I'll read it for you. Philippians 2, 6 to 11 who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross therefore god has highly exalted him this is christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Basically, all of Philippians is centered around this one point here of Christ, of who he is, that he humbled himself, he suffered for our sake, he even died on a cross, but he was exalted by the Father. But what's amazing is that Paul... Strategy, his, his strategy centers everything around this. And we look at even his own life. How We're going to see how his own life is an example of a life lived for the glory of Christ. So we see it, even the famous verse, chapter 1, verse 21. You all know this. To live is Christ. To die is what? To die is gain. To live for Christ means to live sacrificially for him. Equipping the church, spreading the gospel're we're suffering, we're living for him, living for his glory now, but to die is gain means to finally just to be with Christ, our ultimate gain. That's what we want to live for him, which is far more better. That's what Paul says. to live is better for the church, but to die is actually better for me because I could just get to be with Christ. That was his, his main desire to be with the one he loved but um, <clears throat> but Amazing here, in chapter three, we see here Paul's main thrust for his own, his own life. What we wanna do the rest of our time, we're gonna look at how Christ is everything. Everything else is lost. We're gonna see why Christ is everything, and we're gonna end up seeing what a life that is centered on Christ. What does it actually look like? So these are, this is where we're gonna be going today. So look at verse one and two. Especially look at verse 2, Philippians 3 and verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I mean, these are not really nice words to say, you know, calling someone a dog, you know. It's very, very interesting here. <coughs> these, he's talking about these Judaizers. I don't know if you remember it, but Hans mentioned this a few sermons back. He explained more deeply about what these Judaizers, Judaizers were doing in the book of Galatians. But these are the words that these Judaizers were calling the the Gentiles. But now Paul is calling them the very same thing. You guys are just dogs. You know, you mutilators of the flesh. You you are the evildoers. You are actually the wicked ones. Because what they were doing, not only were what they were doing, they they were claiming to be Christians, but it's as though they were adding things like having to follow the, the, the Jewish laws, the, the laws of Moses. So, so if you could do this, if you become a good Jew, then you can become a good Christian. So they're putting all these stumbling blocks in front of these Gentiles. It's interesting here, Paul even had to rebuke Peter for doing this. We see this in Acts 15. Paul is strongly condemning these guys. And so what they're doing, particularly where they're prescribing circumcision. And so he goes on to critique, we see here how, we contra- uh, how these guys are contrasting with what a true Christian really is. What is a true Christian? In a nutshell, he says, we worship God. We, we worship God in the spirit. First of all, we are the true circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart. We worship God in the spirit. We don't have to, we don't have to go to, the, to a temple to worship God. We worship God in the spirit. We glorify Christ Our full hope is in Christ. We put no confidence in the flesh and what we do. This is what Paul is saying. This is what a true Christian does and what a true Christian is. Now, he goes on. It's very interesting. He says, if you want to know what a good Jew is, hey, listen, I was a good Jew. Look at my resume, I guess you could say. Paul goes on to expound on what he did in the past. He's pretty much saying, hey, I want you to top this. This is like his bragging rights. He goes on, he says, Philippians 3, 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, I if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now he goes to list it. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, pretty much listing his family heritage he was born into it he was a son of abraham by golly he goes on he says not only that but i'm from the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews now he goes on to list his kind of social status (coughs) you know to be in the tribe of benjamin was something actually special the first king of israel came from the tribe of benjamin you know saul not only that, but um, whenever there was a split in the kingdom, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, lined up faithfully with Judah. And everyone other nations were up north. So he was with them, with the tribe of Judah. Not only that, the city of Jerusalem was, in, was within the boundaries of Benjamin. So he had some bragging rights there. But he goes on. You know, he says, look at all this Bible knowledge that I have. He was a Pharisee. He was, as of the law, a Pharisee. He knew all his memory verses. He can recite them. He's very good. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and to the extreme, exactly, he would go after those Christians and, and throw in jail, order some of them to be killed, no doubt. He goes on. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He lived a faultless life. He was one of those guys that were holier than thou. But it's interesting here, Paul's, what Paul achieved, his righteous standard, was the standard of the men in that day. doesn't meet up to God's holy standard, but he was meeting the righteous standard of, of his day. I want you to really make that clear in your own understanding. He fell short to God's holy standard. But these truly were the highest level of achievement in his day. Paul reached it. He reached the highest level of achievement. What he did was the definition of success for a good Jew. He was that. He could profit from it. And for sure enough, he did profit from it. Now, how might this look like in the church today? What would like a good resume look like for a, a Christian in church today? I'll just go a few lists here. As for a family heritage, you were raised in a nice Christian home, but not just a nice Christian home, you were raised in the South. Not just in the South, you were raised in Texas, so <laughs> it's even better. Now, <clears throat> as for a social status, you only feed your children natural, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, hormone-free, antibiotic-free, and cage-free food. You use all the essential oils for everything. (laughs) Not only do you homeschool, but you lead the local co-op. Your your wife's Etsy shop of homemade lavender soap is flourishing. Your kids are well-behaved. As far as religious zeal, you are at church every time the doors are open. You keep up with your Bible reading plan. You, you study Calvin's Institutes for Family Worship. Your kids know all their memory verses and the Heidelberg Catechism by heart. You go on mission trip each year. You evangelize door to door every Friday. You lead a community group. You lead a Bible study at your work. You only allow your kids to watch Narnia and the Lord of the Rings. Harry Potter is out. Your family vacations are centered around the Creation Museum, Ark Encounter, and the Bible Museum. And if you can even do them all the same vacation trip, you're winning there. You not only support one child in Africa, but two. Now, this is the highest speaking to myself here, so so no one get offended. So um, this is the highest level of achievement in in our sphere. In church, you know, if you can do this and do it well, you can actually make some profit off of it, write some blogs, do some conferences. You're doing very well. Now, but like Paul's accomplishments, these are all great things. These are wonderful things, okay? And there's nothing bad in these things. The problem is that it wasn't the bad things that were keeping Paul from Jesus, it was the good things that were keeping Paul from Jesus. Let that sink in. His hope was in his own performance and status to find some acceptance from God. He truly didn't need a savior because he was his own savior. Paul knew this, and he was obviously disgusted by it. And because he was even calling, calling the G- Judaizers out on this as well, because he was demanding all these things on the Jews Gentiles as well. The wickedness of this is like. <clears throat> how this can affect our relationship with other people, you know. We can be very prideful over our accomplishments. I have been in the past. We are also very critical when others don't meet our standard of the way we live. This is very dangerous. And naturally, if we fail, we keep these things to ourselves. We don't want others to see our mistakes, so we are very good at masking and hiding. We don't ever confess sin and seek others to for growing in Christ. That's the danger. Um, the problem is also, if we're doing well, if we're having a good week, we're doing all what we think we're, we know we're supposed to do, by golly, on Sunday morning, it's wonderful. We have a great Sunday morning service. It's so easy to worship, enter into the presence of God. We, we're the first ones to raise our hands. We know all, we're singing the loudest. Okay? But if we have a bad week, if we have a bad week, you haven't really followed our standard it's very difficult to worship on sunday in fact we we kind of just lean towards the back you know just kind of keep our head low because man god is not really probably pleased with me and so the problem is that is that we are making ourselves into an idol because our our source of joy comes from us in our ability to perform How dangerous is that? So we are actually committing idolatry. This is dangerous. So we have to be careful. So what Paul goes on, he says, this is loss. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. His resume, the things he put in the gain category, is now in the loss category. Christ is everything for him. Now he goes on in verse 8. Indeed, I count not just my resume, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Not just his resume, everything is loss compared to Christ. He goes on, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is just the highest, this word rubbish here is actually used as for shock vac- value. He's really trying to press a point here. This is like the worst kind, the highest level of repulsiveness, not just trash, but he calls it dung. In some translations, it's, it's called dung. This is horrible. So get the progression here, okay? We see his resume is lost, Everything is lost. In fact, it's all dung. In fact, later on, he says, even my own life has no value. I want to live for Christ with everything. He says, there was no confidence in the flesh. I want to live for God for everything, even to die for him. Christ is everything for Paul. Now, why is that? Why is Jesus surpassing worth? Knowing him is such surpassing worth. Even in verse 14, it's not listed here, but <coughs> Philippians 3.14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upper call in Christ Jesus. It's his goal. It's his prize. It's his treasure. This was, the, the, this was totally different from what those G- Judaizers were focusing on. They were focusing on self, their performance, Paul is focusing all on Jesus. See the difference here. He's saying, "Take your eyes off of you. Have no confidence in you. Have all confidence, glory in Christ." Now he goes on. <clears throat> well, actually, um, this kind of if if it kind of parallels with Matthew thirteen, verse forty-five. He says, "The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field." which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes out and sells all that he has by the field. It's interesting here. It says, in his joy, he sells everything to buy the field, to get the treasure. So sometimes we think, oh, man, i got to give up this to have Christ. Oh, man, I really love this, but I need to follow God. You know, I need to go to church. I need to read my Bible. I just got to. I have to. That kind of living is, is not described here. It says, in his joy, he gets rid of everything. Paul is saying, everything is dumb, everything is worthless to follow Christ. If, if Paul, when he sang the Psalms in Psalm 73, verse 25, Surely he was thinking of Christ. Whom have I in heaven but you? And There is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Nothing on earth I desire besides you. Sometimes we think, when I die, I just can't wait to be with Uncle Joe or, or whatever. Or Grandma. He says, there's nothing I desire in heaven besides you. Christ is everything. Imagine. That is his most that is surpassing worth. That is everything for Paul. He goes on in Philippians 3, 8 to 9. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Okay, now, praise God, it's, it's not a righteousness of my own my own performance it's a righteousness that comes from faith it's look at our position here um our position with god is completely based on christ and what he has done for us isn't that awesome his righteousness is his good works is now ours we don't have to perform to seek god's favor jesus's performances jesus's performance is enough we don't have to do anything to be right with god Christ has done everything. And we don't have to seek the approval of others. This is very, very crucial here. We are favored by the Father because of the work of Jesus, what he has done for us. That's amazing if you think about it. Now, um, let these words sink deep into your soul right now. Everyone pay attention. We are found in Christ. Think about that. We are found in Christ. <coughs> this is our position, our new position. This is our new identity. Those who tend to be legalistic have a tendency to perform. They put their identity in themselves, who they are, what they do, how they are viewed. Just think of the vocabulary in America, just the way we, our communication in America. After you ask someone their, what is their name, what's the next question you ask? What do you do? We value what we do because that defines pretty much who we are. It defines who we are. We really value our identity and us in America. You have to work very hard to impress others, your co-worker, coworkers, your boss, your neighbor, your friend. Any teenagers in here? Teenagers, raise your hand. Teenagers raise your hand. Let me see. Okay, I'm talking to you right now. Okay? That means everyone listen up. Because I'm talking to adults too. Okay. That person you're trying to impress, to be honest, you are a slave to them. Because if you do the right things and they are happy with you. If you do the wrong things, they are mad, angry, or disappointed with you, and they have nothing to do with you. You are a slave to them, if you think about that. Your identity could be in them. If they like me, then I'm good. I want you to understand that is rubbish. That is dung. I want you to stop it. Adults, Matthew, stop it. We never have to worry about what people think about us. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. Let that sink in deeply into your heart. Look at Colossians 3 1 to 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So don't set your mind on the things of this earth. You have died. Don't have confidence in the flesh. See how it's paralleling with Philippians 3? Don't have confidence in, in your flesh. Your flesh is dead. Look at your new position. You were raised with Christ. Our identity is in, not in who we are or what we do or the things of this world because if your identity is in you, if people attack you, then you will attack back. But if, you are, if your identity is in Jesus Christ, who cares what people say about you? Think about that. You are like the freest person ever. That's why Paul could be free, because his identity was in Christ. He could care less what people thought about him, because his flesh was dead. Take no conf- Have no confidence in the flesh. Say what you will. I am Jesus. I am covered by Jesus. Think about that. To be in Christ, that's the safest place to be. Think about that. We're gonna move on. Look at this, the term, righteousness from God, going back to uh, uh, Philippians 3. Um, our righteousness is from God. If you really understand this, truly you will do what Paul says, we will glory in Christ Jesus. I really want you to pay attention to this. This is so wonderful, who we are in Christ, what he has done for us. It is Christ's righteousness, and we are found in it. Hans made mention a little bit about this in Romans 8, a few weeks back. It's not our righteousness. Romans 3.10 says no one is righteous. It's imputed righteousness, which means a transfer, transferred righteousness. Okay. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, sorry for my misspelling here, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's a great exchange here, okay? Our sin is put on Christ. The full wrath of God was poured out on Christ. He was punished in our place. Sin was perfectly dealt with, amen? But then God, and we, if we believe in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to us. Get that our sin is in him, his righteousness comes to us, right? His lifelong record of obedience, perfect obedience to the one to those who trust in him. God now thinks of Christ's righteousness as now belonging to us. That's amazing. We no longer stand guilty before God, we are no longer considered enemies of God. We are actually now at peace with God. Praise God for that, Romans 5.1. We are at peace with God. This truly should make you excited. I don't know why you guys aren't just jumping up and down and running around. Actually, this is not a Pentecostal church, sorry. Um, Now, look at Romans 5.19. It says, "By by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's it right there. His righteous obedience is now on us. We are made righteous because of Him. Now, all throughout the Scripture, we see this wonderful example of this type of imputed righteousness, illustrated as a covering, right? I I love what it says in Zechariah three, one to five. It says, um, <coughs> "This is the vision of um, Zechariah," but he's envisioning Joshua, who is the high priest over that time. Joshua is the high priest. This is symbolically representing him as the, the one. He's a high priest, so he's representing the whole people of Israel. But this is symbolic of what's going to happen with the new covenant, what's going to be happening to basically those on the other side of Christ with, with the working of the Holy Spirit. So this is actually a depiction of who we are, okay? It says, then, this is so beautiful, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord clothed with filthy garments think about that this is us in verse 4 and the angel said to those who were standing before him remove the filthy garments from him and to him he said behold i have taken your iniquity away from you and i will clothe you with pure vestments and i said let them put a clean turban on his head so that he put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments how beautiful is that The filthy garments taken off, the beautiful garments put on. Our filthy garments, our sin was put on Christ on the cross. His righteousness now comes to me for those who believe in him. How awesome is that? The depiction of what Christ has done for us. Look at Isaiah 61 verse 10. It continues, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Praise God. We are covered with his righteousness. That is such beautiful language here. Ephesians 6.14, for anyone in the military here, anyone in the past military, you might like this. Not only just have righteous garments, but we have armored garments. Ephesians 6.14, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Isn't that awesome? Breastplate of righteousness. So it even carries on into the New Testament. This language of covering is in the New Testament. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in Matthew 22, uh, verses 1 to 14, it talks about a wedding feast, and everyone was invited But everyone who comes to the wedding feast must come wearing what? Do you remember this parable? What were they supposed to wear? Do you remember? That was just a chance for me to take a sip. It was uh, wedding garments. They were supposed to have wedding garments. They were depicted in white, pure wedding garments. They were allowed in. The one man who came to this uh, party was kicked out because he was not wearing this wedding garment so anyway we see this beautiful language all throughout the scripture of a covering and the most illustrated one is actually found in genesis the story of adam and eve i really want you to get this mental picture in your mind of what a covering looks like how we are our sin and shame is covered okay adam and eve as you know their great sin was that they wanted to be like God, to decide for themselves what is right and wrong. So they rebelled against God and they ate the fruit. Because of their sin, they knew they were naked. They felt shame and tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And so, um, but God, in his mercy, he killed an animal with the skin of an animal and covered their shame. You see a picture up there? We, we got that at the Creation Museum. It was really cool of how that an animal's skin was actually on them. But this is such a beautiful image here. Um, the first glimpse of sacrifice. This animal died in the place of the sinner. This points to Christ and what he did for us on the cross. This is the ultimate, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for us. He received the punishment for sin, and he, prov- he provided a covering. His righteousness covers us. Just as this covering, God took the, the skins of an animal and covered them. Beautifully depicts what Christ has done. Now, it kind of ties back into Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. It says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but the righteousness that comes through faith. God's provision. Now, you see, what Adam and Eve, when they tried to cover themselves Their covering was actually good enough for them. But it was not good enough for God. If you think about that, often what we do, the righteous deeds that we do, we think we're good. You know, I'm good with the the old man upstairs. You know, he'll let me in. You know, we think our covering is good enough for us, just as Adam and Eve thought their covering was good enough for them but is not acceptable because it's not God's way. There's only one way to the Father. Jesus says, I am the way, amen? It has to be done God's way or no way. Now, um, too bad Mike is not here, um, our in-house fireman. Um, if I would ask him a few questions, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you can guys, got, you'll understand, But if you are, if you see a burning house, okay. If you're going to go into this burning house, what do you need? Are you going to go in with wearing some shorts? Um, will that protect you? Not just any shorts, you know. These shorts. Uh, will that protect you? No, you will be consumed. By the fire, what do you need to go to effectively go and rescue people? You're not just randomly, crazily going into a burning house. You're going to go in to rescue someone, to to save someone's life. What do you need to go in? You need to protect protection equipment to cover you, to cover you, to protect you. That's what you need. I love what it says in Hebrews twelve twenty nine. It says. For our God is a consuming fire. He, Isaiah thirty-three fourteen. Who among us can live with a consuming fire? The answer is no one. No one can live unless we are covered with Christ and his righteousness. If we are properly clothed, we can go into the presence of almighty God. But it's not just anything. We've got to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is what, exactly this picture of Adam and Eve. We need to be covered to be going to the consuming fire. We cannot be covered in anything else. Nothing will work. Even if Adam and Eve started their own designing clothes line with fig leaves. Whatever you do to spruce yourself up will not work. You need 100% Jesus Christ. To save you. Doesn't that just make you appreciate Christ more? How desperately we need him. But how wonderfully and how merciful God is. He didn't just leave us where we are. But he provided a way to cover us. Amen? But now, moving on. Now, Paul's joy is completely found in Christ, as I've said. He's all satisfying He's life-giving, a source of pure joy. The greatest one in all the universe. His true treasure. Knowing this, it will mark a person's life. Paul's life was marked. His main purpose in life was centered on Jesus Christ. We're going to see the rest of the time here of how it affected Paul. Philippians 3.10 That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Now, remember we talked about earlier, he wanted to, He said to live as Christ, to die is gain. This is what it means, to live as Christ. We are living for his glory, living for him, a true living representation of Christ here on earth. But we're living with the power of his resurrection living through us. Isn't that awesome? Only through the power of the Holy Spirit... Can we fight sin? Can we die to self? Can we grow in sanctification, grow in holiness? Paul is rejoicing because Christ is in me, the spirit of Christ is in me, living through me. The, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in us. We have victory. And that, he was rejoicing in, in this as well. He can live for Christ. Isn't it wonderful that what God requires of us, he enables us to do as well? Praise God for that. Now, moving on, he says, and also that I may, may share in his sufferings, taking up his cross daily, living for him, sacrificially living for other people, not living for self, being an ambassador for Christ, showing love of Christ to others, and speaking of Christ's glories through the gospel to your neighbor, to your coworker. This is what we're talking about here, how awesome this is. But he, Paul said earlier, in verse 29, chapter 1, he says, For it has been granted to you, get that, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe but also suffer for his sake. It's just, he's saying you need to actually uh, expect this, you know, expect it to happen. So <clears throat> it's only through the resurrection power of, the, of Christ through the Holy Spirit living through us that enables us to live for Him now. Praise God. Now, lastly, <coughs> He's saying here in Philippians ten and eleven, to become like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I mean, this is His ultimate goal. Listen up, guys. He says, "I love you. I, 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 if it's Lord's will, I'm going to be here. I'm going I'm to live for Christ." I'm gonna live for for him and I'm gonna build work to strive to build the kingdom of the Lord here, share the gospel, love people. To be honest, I really wanna be with Christ. That's what he's saying here. Because he says to live to die is gain. To die is gain. That's what he's saying here. But Paul, it can go either way, because he knew to live for Christ, what awesome glory. To live for the one you love that's what he was rejoicing he can live for the one he loves with the power of the one he loves living through him as well how awesome is that and guys if he says if i die praise god if i died ultimate suffering just living for christ i'm just going to be with him anyway i'm ready let's go but by golly i'm going to live for him now and i love you stubborn people that's what he's saying but he truly was the freest of all men. Paul was. That could be us too. He says, uh, Paul also says, in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for his, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He realized truly, this, this is truly is dung, this world we're living for. It's dung. We have glories beyond all compare. An eternal weight of glory. He even called his sufferings on earth light and momentary. So anyway, I wanted to speak to those in here who do not know Christ. I plead with you. Consider this your call. Repent now. Call out to him because you will face the wrath of God. You will go into the consuming fire because you don't have Christ yet. I appeal to you to cry out to him. But praise God, in his mercy, he will show his awesome kindness to you. Because it says, what's, what are we supposed to do? He says in verse um, in verse nine, the righteousness from God, we're covering the righteousness of the God that depends on faith. Meaning our faith, what we do is just repent, crowd to him, believe in what he has done for us. That's our part. And I plead with you, to do that right now if you have not. Now, I also um For those who just live, have been living the life just frustrated, you're just angry at yourself, knowing that you can't live up to all these expectations, there is freedom. You have Christ. You don't have to worry about what, what anyone else thinks if you're living up to them. Kids, you don't have to worry about what people think of you. You are in Christ if you are a Christian. You are free and Christ is perfect for us. We have his perfect righteousness covering us. So we are accepted by the Father. Praise God. So I appeal to you, lay it all out to him. Give yourself to him. But for those who living for this world, you know, people might say, you know, I have Jesus is like my he's my savior, but he's not my lord. Jesus is my ticket to heaven. But if you're living for the world, I want to warn you as well. We need to live for the glory of Christ. And a true mark of a genuine Christian, as Paul was lying out, is someone who has Christ as their ultimate joy. Christ is their ultimate love. And they want to live for him. I'm not saying we're living for him. or I'm not saying you have to be called to go to Africa. (laughs) But live for him where you are now. Live for him in your family, in your office at work, in your neighborhood. Live for the glory of Christ now. Exalt his name now. The Holy Spirit will enable you and give you the joy. But what it is, basically, it's the sin of indifference. If Christ is not your joy, it's the sin of indifference. Oh, ho-hum, Jesus, ho-hum. But praise God, he's my savior. But to live for him, I don't know. I appeal to you, Repent. Turn your heart to Christ. Cry out for mercy. Say, God, change my heart. And I love this prayer that Paul prays in Philippians 1, 9 to 11. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That's my prayer for you. That you, your glory will be in Christ. Your praise will be not in the next football game, will be in Christ Jesus. That's my prayer for you. Not in your next hobby that you want to start, but your, your, your prayer and your praise will be in Christ Jesus. But anyway, if that's you, just appeal to God. He will save you. He will help you live for him. Praise God.